As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Tuesday, February 20th. Derek Van Riper here with Enoceris. This is a team preview episode, and we pick things back up in America's division, the National League Central. Three teams we're going to cover today, the Cardinals, the Cubs, and the Brewers. So as you can imagine, I'm very excited for this episode. I'm excited for pretty much every episode we do, but this one, top of the scale, baby. This is your wheelhouse. This is where I want to be all the time. Uh, the other place I want to be is in the Rates and Barrels Discord. That's now open. Be sure to check the, so- the show description for the link if you haven't joined that already. Lots of great comments oh God, coming it's through all in there. there for me. Oh, yeah. It's it's loading up. Better get in there today. <laughs> your, your mentions are, are piling up uh, pretty yeah. big in there. Be sure to smash the like button on this video. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. We have another live episode coming out on Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern, if you can join us then on our YouTube page. But let's get into it. Let's start with the Cardinals. We're going to work from the top to the middle of the division using the Picota win projections here. The Cardinals have seven hitters projected to be average or better by WRC plus according to the bat X. This is the strength of this team. And one of those hitters is not Nolan Arenado, who has actually been a 100 or better in all but two seasons in his career, his rookie season and 2020, which basically doesn't count. So they may have eight hitters that are actual above average hitters available to them in their core group. This is a very good lineup. And the interesting thing about it from a fantasy perspective is there's actually a lot of value here. Paul Goldschmidt seems a little underdrafted. Nolan Arenado seems a little underdrafted. Wilson Contreras seems a little underdrafted. It's kind of a theme through the core veteran group, but also for the young players. A lot of times we see young players carry some extra inflation. I might look at Jordan Walker and say that that's a fair price because you're kind of buying a next step from him, but that's not necessarily the case for Nolan Gorman. That's not necessarily the case even for Lars Newtbar, and it's certainly not the case for Mason Wynn, who's got a very good chance to be the primary shortstop for the team this season. Yeah, I think the bad X might be a little low on Nolan Arenado. That's uh, the thing that was sort of ringing in my ears uh, for, from your beginning description of the team. Um, 
you know, one of the things he really does or has done since uh, going to driveline, going to the Cardinals is pull his fly balls. He's gone to 50% pull uh, after being more of a 40% pull guy in Colorado. Of course, in Colorado, uh, you know, opposite field fly balls are homers and uh, you kind of want to spray it around that uh, that outfield that's so big and, and hard to defend. Um, in St. Louis, you kind of want to make the most out of your balls in play in, in terms of power and make sure they go out. Um, so I think both of those approaches were good for the time he was in. Um, but when you look at something like a 7% bail rate uh, and then a 50% pull rate, um, it puts some pressure on making sure those pulls are fly balls. And that's what happened last year. He, he had too many ground balls that were pulled. Uh, his power went down. But given his approach, I think the bat X, I would wager, has been low on him for a while. Mm-hmm. Just because the bail rates have not been great. But a 7% bail rate for his career has still produced 30 plus homers per season. And so I, I think in this case, there's something about the way he optimizes his balls in play that makes him better than his barrel rate. This is a classic projections are a liar sometimes because yeah. the bat X ha- also has the low projection of all the fan graphs projections for Isak Paredes, who utilizes mm-hmm. a similar approach, has the, the pull happy way of getting to his homers, has good plate skills. And looks to be more repeatable than the bat axe would lead you to believe, right? So I think a lot of this is understanding how the projection is made, what is factored in, and, and kind of finding the blind spots within the system. I love this projection system, but you do have to understand where its limitations might be. I also think uh, it's a little premature for a 32-year-old uh, that even in his worst season last year had a 266 average to give him a 249 average as the bat X does. I mean... You know, sometimes you can just spot the outlier real quickly. You could do something where, you know, for every, there's now like one, two, three, four, five, six different projection systems on fan graphs. Uh, some of them are amalgamations. So there's really like five. If there's five different projection systems on fan graphs, you could probably do pretty well by lopping the top one off and the bottom one off and averaging the middle three. <laughs> uh, and in this case, that provides you basically a 265 average with 27 homers, uh, you know, pretty much full playing time and 100 RBI. And where he goes in drafts uh, or just in a discussion of his you know, potential march towards the Hall of Fame and what it is like to be a 32-year-old putting up those numbers. Um, I think he's continuing to make his case, in other words. If he slides to 249 with 23 homers, as the bad X says, that's the decline phase. And um, we'll have to see if he kind of uh, pushes you know, pushes the war total enough to really be in the conversation for the for the hall but if he uh you know rebounds to like a four win season this year he'll have 52 war he'll be uh 32 years old he'll he'll be 33 years old and the line the sort of uh, the number that most people have to get past is 60 so it's still not a slam dunk um uh, but it's a lot harder for him if he slides to like a two war season and becomes more of an average player 
you'd have to play, for example, five more seasons at an average level. And with aging, you would expect him to not be average going forward. So I think this is a pretty big year for him in terms of Hall of Fame, in terms of aging, um, you know, in terms of how he's going to be seen uh, retroactively. Knowing he was dealing with a back injury last season, especially, that gives me the confidence to look at him as someone that can bounce back and still be more of a three and a half or four war sort of player. And that bodes really well for us, especially where he's going right now. So I see good things from Goldie. I see good things from Arenado. I guess Jordan Walker is more of the, are you on board paying up for him? I think I know I like the skills. It's just a question of, has the market pushed him too aggressively? I mean, considering his age, he'll turn 22 in late May. The season he had as a rookie, a 116 WRC plus is very impressive. He didn't have a strikeout problem. Most of the issues were with his glove. That was the main reason why he got that early season demotion. That could still reasonably improve, at least to the point of being passable, even though it graded out as very bad last year. There's good power. There's a pretty good approach. There's some speed. Do you think this is the year Walker takes the next step? Are people right to sort of push that price ahead of time before he puts it all together in a full season? Oh, God, it wasn't just UZR on Fangraphs or, or DR. It was all of them. All of the all the defensive numbers are terrible. In fact, outs above average had him as the fifth worst defender in baseball last year. Kyle Schwaba, Enrique Hernandez, Spencer Steer, Adam Frazier, Jordan Walker, Ahmed Rosario, Jerickson Profar, Vladimir Guerrero. That's a really Luis Arias. What an interesting bottom of the leaderboard that was. Uh, but in any case, uh, Jordan Walker is the youngest of the crew, um, and you know, so I think you're assuming that some of this can get better. His real problem was going to his left and his right, um, which is a problem considering. You need to do that in the outfield. <laughs> um, I don't know what you can do uh, with him. If you start using him at DH already, it seems like so early in his career to do that. If they didn't have Paul Goldschmidt, he could be a first baseman. Um, I think they're just going to stick him out there. Maybe he loses some playing time late in games. Maybe. Defensive replacement. Maybe there's some games where they just want to have a full you know, good defensive lineup out there um, and they don't put them out there. But, um, you know, I tend to think that some of the projections are low on playing time. I mean, I think he did enough last year and they also just had the, they've, they've, they've wrestled with it. They know that the defense is bad and I don't think it was necessarily much better when he came back. So from the minors. So I don't think that uh, this point, the discussion is, can we have him out there because of his glove? It's more, what are we going to do about it? How can we mitigate it? And so therefore, giving him 530 plate appearances for the season, I think is low. Maybe that's baking at risk of demotion or these defensive replacements, but how many plate appearances do you think it costs you to be replaced by Brendan Donovan in the seventh or eighth or ninth inning? It's going to be late in the game. So let's say it happens, let's say they're going to win 85 games and in... It's going to happen in wins. Half of those wins, they decide, okay, we got to take Jordan Walker out of the game because it's close. 
so some of those wins are just going to be by like five or whatever, you know? Right. And you're just going to leave them out there. So 30 to 40 plate appearances at most, I get that. Even that seems a little high. Yeah. Now, would you put a guy this good at the bottom of your lineup? I guess it is such a good lineup that where would you hit him in your lineup? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily be using Edmund at the top of the lineup anymore. I don't think they will either. I think it's going to depend a little bit on who is in the lineup that day. And I guess the who I'm specifically referring to is Brendan Donovan. I think when Donovan plays, he gets a chance to move up a little bit because he can get on base a lot. When Donovan's not in the lineup, everything else kind of shifts a little bit. Gorman bats lefty and Donovan bats lefty as well. Interesting. Um, So there's not a, a, but Edmund's a switch hitter. So I guess Edmund could be he 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 bat was that what they did he batted higher in the lineup against lefties Edmund did I believe he did let me make sure that his career splits line up that way for his career he's one seventeen wrc plus versus lefties so that's what I think I remember that correctly Edmund uh, batted higher in the lineup against lefties so uh, against lefties you might uh, have Edmund and. Arenado higher, Arenado and Goldschmidt. Might go Edmund Arenado, like Edmund Goldschmidt Arenado. Yeah, maybe move the righties up a little bit. Walker's a righty, so Walker on on against lefties might be the fifth hitter. I mean, you, you're going to put a lefty in there at some point. So Gorman, Walker maybe. Um, so you know, so five or five. Like I think Walker will be around five or six wide right, righties and lefties, right? Yeah. Probably in the middle third still. So plenty of RBI opportunities, plenty of playing time. I would agree with you. You lose 10 plate appearances per lineup slot due to lineup slot. It's, a, it's, a, it's an approximation. but So, you know, if, you're, if you could get like, you know, 680 in leadoff um, and you're in fifth, you could, you're, ta- you're capped out at like 630. So we're taking the 630 and then we're taking them out of games 30 times. I still think he can get to 600. I think he'll hit enough where there's a, a path to it. It's a big power profile with that non-zero speed. Probably a pretty good batting average to go with it, too. Hits the ball hard on a very regular basis. So I'm okay with Walker at the price. I don't think he's a must-draft where he's going. It seems like it's fair and appropriate. If I'm going oatmeal early, I'm sitting there in round seven, Jordan Walker might make a lot of sense for a build like that. I really like Nolan Gorman at value. I think there's more questions about how they could manipulate his playing time because he's a lefty, but that's just absurd power as well. I like getting the discount. We saw the 27 homers last year. He chipped in seven bags of his own. Key difference here, more swing and miss, more punch outs. You're probably going to take a hit in the batting average, relatively speaking, but this is sort of normal for guys that run 15% barrel rates. Like Most guys that, that do that have a little more swing and miss like Gorman does. It's hard to believe he's still he's not going to turn 24 until May. So I could see another step forward from Gorman as well. And I think he's the guy that probably gets bumped into the DH spot more often. That's He's part of the reason why they need Walker to play more in right field. Yeah, normal aging curves actually have your strikeout rate, in, uh, not increasing, decreasing until 26 or 27. So the fact that he is uh, that young uh, bodes well for maybe getting that strikeout rate under 30%. That's the easiest way to improve the batting average, improve the OVP, depending on what kind of a league you're in, um, for him to improve overall. Because, yeah, he hits the snot out of the ball. 
and that part is sort of fate complete at this point. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm buying uh, with the the caveat that like he's not going to help your batting average. He is going to be a hurt there, and so you do have to remember that he's below average there. I think we described Lars Newtbar during the outfield previews as someone that should be good at least just across the board, right? Solid in every category, fits just about any sort of build you're going to have. Price right now, very fair in the pick 200 overall range. Well, one thing real quick about Newtbar, though, is that there is a breakout potential still. Um, at 26 years old, he could have a career year. And the, the evidence I have for that is a max EV, a raw power number, uh, that exceeds his barrel number last year. And if you kind of took the barrel number he showed in 2022 and put that together with the walk and strikeout and steals totals you saw in 2023, I mean, I think you could easily see a 30-20 season. Um, you know, it, just assuming kind of everything clicks right, he beats all his playing time projections, which are for 550. If he's doing that sort of thing, he's a t- he's like their leadoff hitter all year, you know, lefties or righties, I think. I would also wonder why he's projected for eight steals when he was 11 for 12 last season playing through three different injuries. Like, that's kind of strange. And I, I my assumption is that most teams are going to steal more this year uh, because they stole more last year and the percentage is still far above the break-even point in terms of uh, where it makes sense statistically to steal. Last year, also, Newbar had the lowest swing strike rate of his career. So there's really a, a, there is breakout potential beyond his projections, and his projections I think are missing on playing time. I don't really know that he needs to be platooned, or he's not being taken out for defensive purposes. So you know, I don't know why he has to get to a 500 plate appearances unless they're thinking there's an injury concern here. The good thing about the way the roster's built is I think Brendan Donovan sort of affords them the luxury of playing the young guys as much as they want or as little as they want by the young guys this year. I mean, players like Mason Wynn and Victor Scott, you know, Victor Scott will probably debut at some point this summer. Mason Wynn Dylan came up at the Carlson. end of last year. Carlson can be part of that too. Hitting well, they don't need to depend on him because they have Edmund and Donovan really. But any one of those three or even a combination of those three out of Wynn, Scott and Carlson could hit more and Donovan could just play a little bit less as a result of that. So I, I kind of like the way that's set up. Uh, of those options for fantasy that makes uh i think i'm excited about victor scott and i think that people are low on his power and i think he can hit 10 to 15 homers at least i don't think he's a no power guy i'm excited about him long term i'm a little bit worried about him short term even somebody like mason win just a little bit of collapse potential because you've got a team that's hoping to win um that could paper over with a veteran in in both spots yeah and with victor scott I think he's going to be more of a, a coveted pickup for me in deeper mixed leagues as opposed to somebody I would try to hold on to. I mean, he, he topped out at double A, played in the fall league. I think they're going to give him a decent run in the upper levels of the minors this year before breaking him in, unless a few injuries happen between you know, now and early May. In that case, maybe Scott, because of his defense, could move up a little faster. But I think because they've got so much depth, he's going to have to wait for that opportunity. Yeah. Are you in on win as an end game option, like in a 15 team league? Do you think he's going to basically hold the job, even if he's stuck in the bottom third of the lineup? Is there enough of a, a path forward for him to be draftable? You know, win and Scott uh, demonstrate to me that the Cardinals are not complacent with these younger kind of speed first. Uh, maybe they don't hit the ball hard enough 
uh, types, they, you know, that's what Victor Scott told me at the, uh, at the fall league was that, you know, he, uh, was given blast motion numbers that he was supposed to hit. And I'm assuming some of them are bat speed. Uh, others are, you know, attack angle. And, and basically, uh, you would expect those to be power oriented. If someone gave you blast motion numbers to hit, those would be power oriented. I would expect they're not going to tell you to swing softer, you know? <laughs> um, so I would assume that, um, you know, they, you know, the fact that Mason Wynn hit the ball 110 in AAA matters to me. He didn't do that in the major leagues, but you can smush that all together. I think in terms of, you know, showing his raw power, the 110 is more instructive to me than the 103.9 he put up in the major leagues. So uh, I see a guy who can also hit 15 homers a year in the big leagues in Mason Wynn. And that makes me excited. Uh, because I think that's going to help his his walk totals. He obviously has a great ability to put bat to ball. I, I'm 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 very excited about him. And in fact, my instinct, and this is more talking off instinct than um, sort of sober analysis. Sober analysis, I think, would say there's a risk that Edmund takes that job and win goes down. That is something I have to uh, agree with. My instinct here is to say Mason Wynn takes the job in spring training. Well, and I think the key here, as far as your risk reward goes, is Mason Wynn is not being treated like a top shelf sort of prospect. He's late. You can draft him late. If he does get sent down, you can cut him and just try to pick him up later when he comes back up. A lot of ways for him to be a good player for us in roto leagues, especially since he showed speed last year, unlocked more power, gets on base, has a lot of interesting tools and an amazing arm, as we've seen in the Futures game, basically looking like he's he's throwing with the video on fast forward from uh, from short. The issue with this team comes back to the rotation. They added Sonny Gray, they added Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. They've got bulk. Yeah, oh God. <laughs> Steven Matz is still there. Miles Michaelis is still there. That's their core five. They had to get someone that could be an air quotes, impact starter. And I think Gray Gray does that, right? He's not elite, but he's good. Better than the other options, reflected in where people draft him. Has a little bit of an injury history that you'd, you'd look at and say, oh, that's not great. They're going to probably tap into their sixth, seventh, and eighth starters at, at various points this year, which is probably not something Cardinals fans are excited about. I was checking in with Katie Wu, who covers the Cardinals for the Athletic, and I asked her, like, Dakota Roby has to be a big part of their plan, right? It has to be. And she said, no, Zach Thompson's probably their sixth starter, at least in the first half of the season. And I guess you could look at Thompson through a positive lens and say, well, he had a 16.4% K minus BB percentage last year. That's pretty good. He might be a little more interesting than Kyle Gibson over the course of the season. That's possible. But the model, your pitching model, does not like Zach Thompson. And I'm kind of curious if you've been able to drill into why. It just doesn't, I mean, it doesn't like his pitches. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't like his pitches. All right, let me make sure. There's two Zach Thompsons, which always makes it uh, a problem. Oh, I'm going to do cartwheels if I actually picked the right one and pulled the right one. But I'm pretty sure, pretty sure I did. Uh, so there's a Zach Thompson with curveball, cutter, changeup, four-seam fastball. That sounds like him. Um, let me see if there's another one. There was the Pirates one, remember? 
Well, there's Zach with a K. Is it's the Cardinals one? There's Zach uh-huh. with an H, who's with the Blue Jays organization. I but he believe. didn't pitch last year or something because he's not showing up. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Zach Thompson with a curve, the a plus curveball. I would say that's a plus curveball. Um, and a ninety, it's a one fourteen stuff plus on the curveball. A ninety four stuff plus on the cutter. A forty five stuff plus on the four seam. That's maybe the lowest I can remember. That is pretty awful, but uh, let's see if it if the results are are similar. Um, to, if they line up with what the model says, Zach Thompson, twenty twenty three results and averages four seam three twenty two batting average four eighty five slugging. That's not what you want. It is not what you want. The, they uh, over Brooks baseball. I think they're calling his slider a a the, his cutter a slider. It got good numbers. The curve got good numbers. It's just an extreme bad fastball situation. I don't know that I trust them to be able to do anything about it, and I don't even know if how easy it is to do something about that. Uh, your fastball movement is almost your DNA. You know, a lot of the stuff you can do. That's why I prefer younger pitchers with good fastballs because I feel like you can place the pieces around of good fastball a lot easier than try to figure out what to do with the poop fastball. The only thing I would do with Zach Thompson is be like, yo, you want to try a sinker? Because your four seems no good. Um, and so I, I, I'd have my ear out if if they were talking sinker with him. But... Uh, yeah, it's 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 not a good fastball. I was checking the poster behind me for the poop fastball. It's not yeah. on there. <laughs> yeah, and I, and like I even just struggle to say anything nice about this staff in general. Um, you know, I, I like uh, Sonny Gray, and I think Takoa Roby is is one of the better uh, you know pitch, starting pitching prospects that I think will get some time this year. Um, but uh, I have a I have a a table here that's that's pretty damning. This is the problem. Yeah, I took the uh, the all the starters with at least five starts in the bat projection, and I found out what their rotations strikeout percentage would be. The worst in the big leagues is pretty obvious. The Rockies, fourteen percent. Then you got the Pirates with eighteen percent. They they actually hired they, they hired a couple of new pitchers that probably took that down <laughs> uh, in Martin Perez and Marco Gonzalez. The Nationals with an eighteen percent, the Royals with an eighteen point nine, the A's with a nineteen point six, and then the Cardinals with a nineteen point eight. The Cubs right behind them, the White Sox, Angels, and D backs. So uh, that's the full bottom ten when it comes to strikeout rate. Some of those teams I think have the types of pitchers that maybe could succeed with a lower strikeout rate. I think of the D-backs having like an Eduardo Rodriguez, like a good command guy. Zach Allen does have a decent strikeout rate, but also has a, a wide arsenal. Merrill Kelly, wide arsenal command. Um, that I don't know that I'm willing to give the Cardinals all that. Um, Steven Matz might have the second best strikeout rate in their rotation, and he might give them 50 innings, you know? Uh, Lynn and Gibson are, you know, I think other teams would be happy to sign Lynn and Gibson for their fifth starter role. Um, and they're slotting in at like second and third on this team. So, yeah. 
I give him. I, it, I think it would be frustrating to be a Cardinals fan after this outfield after this off season. I would be. I would give them an F personally if I was a Cardinals fan. <laughs> like, yeah, being more of a like. Not, here I am, national writer. Like, I'm, you know, I'll give them a. I don't know C or something. They they went and got innings. They needed innings. Maybe even a B minus because I like Sonny Gray. And so, and I get what their whole ethos is. Like, we're not going to drop a bunch of coin on a starting pitcher. Like that's their deal, but Shota Imanaga did not, you know, Imanaga did not cost much, you know, he did not. And that he has that strikeout upside that they've been looking for, you know, and his big problem homers would be mitigated by your home park. So why not take a chance on somebody like that? They didn't even, you can't even say he cost too much or it's too long of a contract. That wasn't the deal. Um, and then, you know, I, I prefer some of the other, pitchers that went on 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 small deals that i just thought had more upside like a luis severino type or whatever like there were other guys that they could have gotten for like one and ten one and twelve that i liked better yeah i think especially since they 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 should have just split it i think one of lynn or gibson and then severino would have been a little more one for innings one for upside sort of deal yeah like someone that you would like to start in a game in october and someone that helps you get there because they show up every fifth day and just get you through and what is the october rotation for the cardinals not good not good enough the other thing that's interesting about this team is that if you have a rotation that misses bats as infrequently as theirs does it puts a lot of pressure on your defense usually their Mm. defense is really good you look at the last three seasons 2021 81 defensive run saved 2022, 67. 2023, minus seven. Mm. You know, it's not all on Jordan Walker. That's a team number. It's getting, it's a team that's getting older, I guess. And, They're getting and, older. And making some weird decisions. I mean, like signing Wilson Contreras didn't help their, didn't help their uh, defense very much. Right. So if you're going to build a pitching staff the way they build a pitching staff, you have to have a great defensive team behind it to reduce the impact of the balls in play. That's an that's an argument for Win sort of taking the job, isn't it? At this point, Edmund's not, you know, an above average defensive center uh, shortstop. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be one reason to consider Mason Win for sure. I keep wondering too if anybody they got at the deadline beyond Roby, I think Drew Rom, maybe Adam Kloffenstein, if any of those guys end up being useful in the back end. You know, Tink Hens's stock has dipped a little bit. He had some trouble once he got to Double A last year. Maybe late late twenty four we'd see him, but I don't know. This is a team that. Yeah, I'd be frustrated too if I rooted for them because Blake Snell is still out there. Why can't you go get Blake Snell? Like you're the Cardinals, you should You've be able to go get someone like that. At this point, like you, you know, even if Blake Snell gives you a 120 inning season, he sometimes does. Pair him together with Steven Matz, and you still he's still your second best starting pitcher. Yeah, I'd really, I'd really like that addition for them if they actually went and did it. The Pakota win total. 84.7, first place in the NL Central. Too hot, too cold, or just right for the Cards. Just right, but I I don't know about the placement. I don't think they're going to win. I don't think they're going to win the Central. I don't think Dakota respects the NL Central. <laughs> they have the winner of the Central winning eighty four games. I don't think so. <laughs> but the, the 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 second question is should should it? <laughs> hey, hey, nice, hey. nice. No, this I is just a right. really good lineup. Really good. The lineup's a problem. If they could find a way to make it work with the pitching, I get it. I understand why they'd be projected to come in first. I think the veteran core of hitters with the young guys is really exciting. That's the part you have to love this. They're going to be a fun lineup to watch every night. 
They have to out-hit their pitching. That's the story of the Cardinals as they're currently built. And Sonny Gray has to stay healthy. If Gray goes down, that's a pretty impactful injury just given the lack of quality alternatives they can throw out there in his place. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's go to the Cubs. This is another team where if if I were a fan, I'd be pissed right now. This is not the way the Cubs should act as far as an offseason goes. They lost Stroman. They brought in Imanaga. That's a nice get. That's probably an upgrade. They're at least as good as they were last year. But they needed one more starter last year. And I think it maybe is a sign that they're trying to push a little more onto their prospects. They've got a nice group of young talent coming up. They've got some help even on the pitching front with Cade Horton coming up. So we'll kind of work backwards on this one. Let's start with the pitching. This is a weird group of pitchers. Tyon, I think, is a guy that showed us something in the second half of last year where he could end up being one of the more undervalued pitchers in the league from a fantasy perspective. I think that's possible. We have talked a few times about Justin Steele and keep wondering, like, okay, is this really going to be another step forward? Is the step forward from last year even sustainable? More questions than answers with him. I could I can squint at this group and say the top three are good. I can I can convince myself of that. But beyond that, how much do you like Kyle Hendricks at this point in his career? You know, how much do you like guys like Wicks and Assad? Uh, and Drew Smiley, who are going to get opportunities before Cade Horton gets a spot in this rotation. I think of Kyle Hendricks is is um, a little bit Waka esque at this point. You know, he's got that excellent changeup, and when the command is good, he can mix in the rest of the pitches just enough. Uh, especially since he's got two changeups in, in there, in, in in the guise of one. Um, I'm not super in on Michael Walker because I also know what happens when the command isn't there. And uh, we just, we have example seasons from both Hendricks and Walker where, you know, they have a four and a half, five ERA and uh, are in and and off the IL and just have one of those seasons. Um, So the nice thing about Hendricks is he costs less than Walker. And uh, you know, so I think that's true for fantasy at least. Real life, I'm a little surprised the Cubs gave him five years and seventy million. Um, I wouldn't have done that. I didn't think he profiled well enough for that. Again, this team is full of really terrible fastballs. Kyle Hendricks, four seam fastball, sixty eight. 
Jameson Tyon, four-seam fastball, 82 stuff plus. He's the best one out of all of them. Iman, actually, Iman, I got Wilby. Um, Jordan Wicks, four-seam fastball, 71 stuff plus. Javier Assad, four-seam fastball, 75 stuff plus. They might have the worst fastballs in the big leagues other than Imanaga. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough one for me. Steele actually uh, does fine because he has that cut ride, that cut ride fastball. He's got a 93 uh, stuff plus on that. Um, that might, might be underrating it, but even the average four seam is around 95, 96. So he's, he's fine. But, uh, you know, there's some bad fastballs on here and that's, I wouldn't give a guy with a bad fastball five years and 70 million. So, um, that's just, that's an aside, I guess. Um, uh, tie on though, I, I'm also a little bit more upbeat about than others. I'm showing right here, his pitch mix, uh, especially versus left-handers by month. Cause in the second half he had like a 360 RA and was much more usable. And what I see is, um, you know, he basically refound and rededicated himself to his four seam fastball. And even if it's not the very best fastball, it ends up being, you know, the second or third best fastball on this team. <laughs> um, and for his mix, I think everything goes better if it's coming off the fastball. If you look at the first couple of months, he's throwing the cutter so much that, you know, if you're stuff plus, you would treat the cutter as his fastball. And then, or if you're a batter, you're seeing the cutter the most, you're going to see the cutter and define everything off that. Well, that's too bad because that reduces the effectiveness of your curve um, off of that. And so he needs the cutter to be a secondary pitch. What you see in the second half is the cutter and the curves are secondary pitches. The four seam is the primary pitch and uh, his results got so much better. So, you know, against righties, he's a little bit different because he's got that sweeper. Um, but I think he found something that worked against left-handers in the second half. And, uh, so he's at least a three pitch pitcher against lefties and at least a three pitch pitcher against righties. Um, that was something he needed to find. He didn't want to be a two pitch pitcher against either side. Yeah, the numbers from July 1st on were a lot better. 87 Ks in those 95 and two-thirds innings, only 21 walks. So over eight Ks per nine or two walks per nine, a little bit of a home run issue. 357 ERA, you'll take that. I mean, you're going to use him at home most of the time. You'll find some spots on the road. He's going late enough where you're not drafting Jamison Tyon to be in your lineup for every single start, but you may end up using him more than you expect to because those adjustments do look like they're going to be pretty effective. And part of the reason I always chase a player like this, even when it goes sideways, is the number of pitches. There's so many adjustments a guy like Jamison Tyon can make when it's not going well. So I actually like him quite a bit. And in his case, like we have very recent evidence that he can make adjustments to pitches. Like he debuted a sweeper last year, mm -hmm. you know, and it took him a while to sort of figure out how to fit that into his, into his, um, you know, his, his arsenal. But now he's got that. He could try a splitter. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the next thing you hear is Jameson Towns trying to splitter. Everyone's trying to splitter uh, at this point. I think of the relievers, we talked about Edbert Alzali a lot on the closer preview, and he was sort of like the last solid has the job option at the time we recorded that episode. I believe that was just prior to Hector Neris being added to the bullpen. I think Neris gives them the clear next man up. I think at least just based on the fact they went out and brought him in, he looks more like 
the clear backup now. They didn't necessarily have that, at least to me. I, I didn't see anybody who I thought was a, a stash, a target, a possible you know, handcuff option. Merriweather, maybe. Merriweather looked good out of the pen last year. I think that was kind of like your, your Jorge Lopez call of 2023, where it was like, it clicked, it happened. This is the year. Uh, projections still look pretty good for Julian Merriweather as well, but I wonder Slightly if they better use than him. Prasad. There's a, still a chance that he takes it. I just wonder if they throw Merriweather in a lot in the sixth and seventh, have him get four, five, six outs at a time. Also, you know, sometimes teams will actually use their best uh, reliever before the ninth and their second best reliever in the ninth. So, you know, this could still, all this these projections could be ring true and Alzale is still the closer all year. Yeah, we saw a handful of those appearances I just described later in the year from Merriweather where it was a little more than one inning at a time. So that's that's where my my sort of interest is. I, I like him in leagues that are like holds leagues. Otto New is just your last reliever. I think he fits in those sorts of spots. I'm not really, in, as if you couldn't tell maybe from my fastball rant, I'm not into Jordan Wicks and Javier Assad. I'll have Assad maybe a, a slightly uh, ahead of Jordan Wicks. Um, I don't really like either of them. Drew Smiley is uh, trying to throw a splitter. Um, and he is also in that mix. I do, however, like Cade Horton and Ben Brown, um, who are the two young guys that have a little bit of helium that are coming up behind uh, those veterans. So I just, I, I like if you're reading the tea leaves on this team, like, like you're saying like there's a little bit of a youth movement they're maybe going to rely on them like what's the starting five coming out well who's the the fifth starting pitcher coming out of spring training and how quickly will they go to somebody like ben brown or kate horton if they struggle yeah my my read would be smiley gets the first shot at number five super veteran type probably can't option him or anything so if he's either on the roster or he's gone yeah, the splitter works for him, and he just finds something this spring. Maybe he wins the job. I'm not sure he's going to keep it. I want to see what he's actually throwing in game situations once we get those rolling here. I would say because Ben Brown has more upper-level minor league experience, if he's ben pitching Horton. well to start the year, he gets the first shot over Horton when they go to the system. Would he leapfrog a Wicks or an Assad? Nah, not necessarily. It really depends on health, I think. I mean, ben, what happened to Ben Brown last year? I know he's he's popped in the model in the past, but the walk rate went through the roof at AAA. That's ABS, dude. My location model says it's not that terrible. You know, I've got I've got uh, a revamped uh, model, like looking at the AAA uh, numbers. Ben Brown uh, was the like fourth best starting pitcher by stuff plus location plus 94 eight that's not great it's borderline it's very borderline um but uh a comparable pitcher with a lot of stuff and that kind of a location plus comes from uh keaton wind was 97 7 jaron jones was 99 5 uh jack lighter 90.7 so like it's not as bad as Jack Leiter. <laughs> um, Hurston oh, Waldrip sad. had a ninety point five, so that's worse. Um, uh, AJ Smith Shaver ninety three five, worse than Ben Brown. 
Um, so I don't know. I, I, yeah, it could be a problem, but I also think ABS exacerbated the problem because he had, uh, passable walk rates all, all everywhere before that. I mean, yeah. he was looking like a guy who wouldn't have great command. He'd outstuff his command. And I think that's still a possibility. I think they need to get him out of AAA. I bet you there's a, there's an outside chance he makes it as like their sort of six starter bullpen, uh, on the roster type guy swingy manny i don't know how what is the word for this guy that like the the jake junis you know he used to be a swing man yeah i don't know if it's necessarily the same role now well, swing man has like different connotations this is this is in fact like the glue guy it's it's pretty important for teams you know would you use the same description for spencer strider's role when he broke in in 2022 i mean spencer strider didn't just show up and have a rotation spot he was just kind of filling in space between the high leverage landing relievers and starters when they went short. Yeah. And you could call him a swing man, but again, I think that's just like our, our idea of what a swing man is, is kind of like super fungible. Whereas I think in today's game, the swing man deserves more love. Like it's, it deserves some thought, you know, and deserves some respect. So I think Ben Brown could make this team, um, as that guy at first and maybe even kind of swim move past somebody and take a role. He's more exciting than the guys that are ahead of him, but that's been the case the entire time and those guys are still ahead of him. So it's hard. Yeah. It's hard for me to know like when it's going to click for them to say, yeah, we, we prefer Ben Brown in the spot, but maybe that's the right way to break him in. Wesnensky could fill that role. Um, and he did it to certain aplomb uh, later in the season, I think. Uh, let me look at his splits. But I remember he kind of, he left the rotation uh, 440 ERA in the second half, but a three ERA in September. Um, and I think in terms of appearances and length of appearances, uh, yeah, he was down to one to two innings, sometimes three innings. So that September usage of Wesnensky sort of uh, suggests that he gets first shot at that, um, you know, two two to three inning guy. Yeah, so I got a few options, and it's getting a little bit better with the potential arrival of Brown Brown's probably and Horton. Just a name to stash than than an actual player to put on your roster. Yeah, wait and see what kind of opportunity he gets. The bigger questions I think with this team are around the young talent they can bring in on the position player side. It seems necessary. You know, the core isn't bad. You see Horner, Seiya Suzuki, Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ. Those four guys all project well. Christopher Morell projects for uh, WRC plus above 100. It's more about how much are they going to turn to Pete Crow Armstrong, Miguel Amaya potentially behind the plate, you know, Matt Shaw. Are they going to let these guys, Owen Casey, maybe moving through that system, could get a shot this year as well. Are they all going to fill significant areas of need if ownership decides we're good, we're fine, we don't want to spend any more money, or at least we're going to wait until the trade deadline to add payroll. Like, is that really what the Cubs are doing? Was the plan to throw money at Craig Council to try and just squeeze more wins out of the same roster or even a lesser roster because they didn't bring back Cody Bellinger? Yeah, the Tom Ricketts comments on payroll were not something that Cubs fans wanted to hear. Um he said, you don't have to have the highest payroll of the biggest stars. If you're playing well, anybody can beat anybody. Um, you know, if if they asked what it would take to increase payroll, uh, the Cubs are at $200 million right now. Rick's 
equipped more revenue. He said, like, this is a good enough team to win the division. Um, so I, I'm, uh, I read that as they're not in on Bellinger anymore. Also, on top of that, they signed Dom Smith. And who was, there was a bit of a center field signing. A veteran center field signing. I don't see uh, him No, it was David Peralta. Chart. No, he's he's David he's Peralta, corner. not center. Right. Um, could Hap play center if Peralta makes the team as a corner? I think I think they should just play Pete Crow Armstrong in center. That's that's my read. Just Hap's do it. Defensive numbers on Fangraphs weren't great, and yeah, minus seven uh, right next to Randall Grichuk and Brian De La Cruz, guys we've just recently discussed as not being center fielders anymore. Um, yeah, I think the, you know, I think the, the smart bet is that Bellinger's not coming. Pete Armstrong is the center fielder because he's at a position of defensive need. Whereas in the other positions, there's more risk. So if you want to depend on Michael Bush being the first baseman, then he better have a good spring. Because Dom Smith and Patrick Wisdom, you know, you know, they're there. <laughs> and if they don't, like we saw with Matt Mervis, like if he, if my, if Michael Bush doesn't just sort of seize that that job, they'll find a way to patch over first base. Maybe Morell could play first base. Yeah, that's that's been one of those things we've kicked around a few times. They're gonna keep trying him at third, probably DH some. Just doesn't have a spot to call his own yet. I think the other interesting player is Matt Shaw. He's eligible at shortstop, but if he's going to break through, it's more likely to be at third base. It just seems like maybe the Patrick Wisdom era is over. Be that with Morell taking the spot or with Shaw coming up on the roster and becoming the third baseman. Madrigal's listed as a starter. I just don't believe. It. I didn't even put him on the screen. I I don't. I think he's a bench guy. Yeah, a righty with like a like a projected 100 WRC plus um, at a non um, non essential defensive position uh, seems like an easy guy to put on your bench. So, I, so I've been thinking it's Madrigal versus Morel, and I'm taking Morel at third because I don't think Madrigal's bat is all that special, and his defense isn't that great, and I think. You know, Madrigal's contact rate, yeah, it's it's okay. It's it's I mean it's elite, but I, it's not something I'm like rushing to get in the lineup. Um, so I think Madrigal is the utility guy. Morel is the third baseman, and Spring is a battle between Bush, Wisdom, and Mervis and Smith. It's like, you know, hey, one of you guys are gonna win this job. It's such a funny lineup. A group of very appropriately priced players, though, with Horner, Suzuki, Swanson, Hap, and Morell. They all go where it kind of makes sense to take them. I don't know if I see massive steps forward for anybody for Suzuki. Maybe it's just being health. Yeah, being healthy. There's There was some like approach stuff where he was figuring out how to push and pull and figuring out how the league works and, you know, when to. Like he has better raw power than he had game power. So there's still like maybe a chance he taps into that better. All right, Pakota's got 80.4 wins for this Cubs team. Has them in second place in the NL Central. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Too cold. It's funny Man. when I know you haven't seen what I wrote down, and we end up agreeing on things. <laughs> well, you know I didn't look at the rundown. <laughs> 
I know you might have glanced at it, but I also know if I put something in a certain place on the rundown, it's pretty safe. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I just think I don't know that this is like a 91 team, but no. Uh, like the the way that we described it and the way that you you sort of set it up is like here's a team with veteran options everywhere and then young players sort of in places that they have the biggest needs so you know maybe they go into the season with magical wisdom and smith but what two three four weeks in those guys could all be in different roles if they if if it's not working it's kind of a copycat build of, of the entire division. I mean, the Cardinals, I just think their veterans are better. They have better track records. They have better projections. And maybe their young players are closer or they're already in the big leagues or they have slightly higher ceilings the pitching, for the most part. I think, uh, the, at least the starting pitching I'll give to the Cubs. Yeah. Bullpen I'll give to the Cardinals. Yeah, I like the Cards bullpen more than the Cubs as well. Uh, but I'm right there with you. I thought it was too cold on the Cubs. I just like the NL Central more than most computers and most people do. It's my, it's my biggest flaw, I think, <laughs> as a person. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, let's get to the part of the show everybody's been waiting for for the last 50 minutes. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the 2024 Brewers. And this is... Uh, oh, God. There's a very similar situation here. It looks really similar. Where you have, have young guys coming up in all their positions of need. And there's a little bit of a battle in a couple of positions where they need to... They're going to depend on their young guys to take them the next step. It's like the four veterans... William Contreras, who's not old, but just is proven. Christian Yelich. They added Reese Hoskins at a clear position of need first base. Willie Adamas. Willie Adamas. Those are your core four guys that are going to play a ton and feel pretty solid for their their projections. Maybe even a little bit of value still on Hoskins. Yeah, how do they fit, you know, in the other core fours? I think, you know, you've got uh, Goldschmidt, Arenado, 
what uh gorman and walker yeah or will you wilson Contreras would be part of their core four in st louis for for the hitter projections well and and their Contreras and brewers is, is if you want to make it a core five like you can put Contreras on the brewers in and Contreras on the cardinals in and then what's the core five in 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 chicago Suzuki, Swanson, Hap, Nico, Warner. and Morel, I guess. All right, so the Cubs' core core five is probably third. Yeah, I, but I the think Brewers that's fair. Five, I think you could put them up against the Cardinals. I don't know, uh, maybe not. Maybe the Brewers are second, and the Cardinals have the first core five. But there's some age there, and you know these guys are a little bit younger. There's a wild card here too, of course, right? Jackson Chorio. Yeah. Like, what? What is top Jackson Chorio going to do? Prospect, top two prospect in the minor leagues. Yeah. What does year one bring from him? And is he the kind of prospect that comes up and hits the ground running? Is he the kind of guy that does fine for his age, but isn't necessarily, you know, a top three, top four type hitter on this team right away? I think that's probably the more reasonable expectation, even with the pedigree. He could exceed. That's entirely possible. There are a lot of ways for him to be valuable from a fantasy perspective, but he's closing in on a top 180p. He's creeping up uh, each and every week. That extension he got in December, propelling him along, which makes you think that more likely than not, he's on the opening day roster. So that that's another boost potentially. The thing that's hard for me is that like there's a sort of a natural comp for me with Julio Julio Rodriguez just in terms of young right-hander with power and speed blowing through the minors, you know, and forces himself onto the roster or a little bit earlier than people thought. But the thing that makes it so difficult is the trio is like another year younger mm-hmm. even than Julio Rodriguez is coming through. So Julio Rodriguez's minor league numbers are much better than Jackson Churio's. And we know we've seen some research at least that suggests that like a year might be worth as much as 20 points of WRC plus listen you can give those 20 points of WRC plus to uh Jackson Churio and he still doesn't get to um to where uh Julio Rodriguez was so as much as I think that there is something in common with Julio Rodriguez I don't think he is Julio Rodriguez there's a yeah a slight gap in terms of what they did at Double A even when you age adjust it. Um, the thing that's been continually catching my eye with Churio are the types of pitches he hits out of the ballpark. He can hit premium velocity. He can hit stuff at the top of the zone. He can go the opposite way with power. It's the, it's it's just a good balanced approach for his age. There's a lot to build on for him. Might just be more speed right away. The problem I have. I think when I look behind Jackson Churio, it's very difficult, especially looking at the projections. Look, it's very difficult to know, is Garrett Mitchell a backup or is he going to play up and, and actually be a starter? Is Joey Weimer with a new swing? Is he a clear backup, like a good fourth outfielder? Or is he going to be a regular in the long run? I have a couple of guys like that. Even Bryce Terang, his gloves fantastic. Is he just the bottom of the order, all glove, limited bat, mostly a speed sort of play for us from a fantasy perspective? Or is there another level there that he can unlock? I think that's the question I ask about a lot of the prospects that they've brought up recently. I don't know what their ceilings are. Like They seem like they've got solid floors, but I don't know how much you can project on most of those guys. The, the funniest one for me is Weimer because 
I I really remember very distinctly the first time I saw Joey Weimer swing, oh, and yeah. I was like, "What is happening?" So normally he's like this really big guy that used to get really short and put his hands way out over the plate, and now we're watching a video of his new swing, which I know it has this like double toe tap, which is still a little bit busy. And it's probably still a little bit busier than average, but my God, compared to what it used to be, this is so simple. Um, I don't know what to say. Like, will that change everything? Will he struggle for a while because he's like not doing what he used to do and he used to feel really comfortable? Um, you know, what, what, I don't know what impact that could be, but if, if that, um, you know, brings him back down to anywhere closer to some of his minor league strikeout rates where, um, you know, he had them at triple A basically, um, you know, even if it just puts him closer to average, I think that's one of the biggest flaws. He has a pretty good maximum EV, um, you know, pretty good raw power, pretty good demonstrated power, good speed. Uh, the defense looks good. So like, you know, if he cuts his strikeout rate, and this is something you could maybe even see in spring because strikeout rate in spring is actually somewhat meaningful. If he's striking out 20% of the time in spring, he could strike out 22, 23% of the time during the season. He might be a starter, you know? It's in the range of outcomes. Yeah, and, and that just makes it hard because you can kind of tell that kind of same story for other guys. So Sal Freelich, um, I think the real question is, you know, he did show some better isolated slugging percentages in the minors, um, but uh, was that due to his legs or um, does he does he have another level power-wise? Right now, um, you know, it's, it's contact before anything else without amazing defensive projections at least and it's kind of a league average bat but if you put him up against joey weimer the one that strikes out 29 percent of the time you take sal freelich because he makes all the contact he's very projectable and easy to figure out but also maybe doesn't have the same ceiling as weimer and i think mitchell's kind of right in between those two guys where you know he needs to cut his strikeout rate um, but he has more raw power and more demonstrated power than Weimer. And so probably, you know, similar upside, maybe the best upside and maybe the worst downside of the three, <laughs> right? Maybe yeah. Garrett Mitchell, you know, never makes it, never figures it out. So it is kind of interesting from the Brewers perspective and from Fangraph's depth chart. If you're making a depth chart, if you're thinking this through in your head, I think you have to think that the most likely outcome is Sal Freelich is the right fielder. I think that's just that's what they also Joey Weimer is working out at second base. No, Freelich's working out at second base. Oh, Freelich's working out at second base. And third. So that's interesting. Um, <laughs> he, was, he was spending time with Pedroia, Dustin Pedroia this offseason and working on infield stuff. And they're gonna give him shots at spring games. I just I think that basically my point is like I think he's the highest floor, so he's the most likely to have a spot on the depth chart, maybe a starting spot. Joey Weimer, you know, and Garrett Mitchell, it's about your taste for risk and your taste for upside uh, between the two. But it looks like there's probably going to be a loser between the two of them. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think because they've got options, because they've got um, older guys you could possibly hold on that roster, they, you know, that makes things pretty complicated. And then there's the third base situation, even without a guy like Freelich starting to 
play there a little bit between Joey Ortiz, who is good enough to play shortstop, but won't with Willie Adames there, and someone like Tyler Black, whose glove we've talked about a few times in this show. But Tyler Black, if you looked at the the hitting profiles of all the prospects we just talked about in the outfield mix, you'd say Tyler Black might be the best hitter of the entire bunch. There's power, there's speed, there are good plate skills. Like You would try to find a fit for him. And the weird thing is, we talked about Gary Sanchez agreeing to a deal with the Brewers last week. He's not in camp yet. It sounds like there's some kind of snag with that deal, which would leave a lot of playing time at DH available potentially, which if that's the case, if this falls through and Gary Sanchez doesn't end up becoming a Brewer, there's a lot more playing time available for whoever sort of loses out in this battle that the young players are having just to make the roster. Yeah, I think you could you could fit Weimer and Mitchell onto the same roster maybe because you could go with uh, Christian Yelich at, at, at uh, DH more mm-hmm. often and then have a plus-plus outfield um, of Freelich and Weimer and Churio and still have a backup outfielder um, on the bench. Um or if Freelich ends up on the infield, you could still be Mitchell. Mitchell, Weimer, Churio in the outfield would be one of the better defensive outfields in the big leagues. We're seeing this as a team that quickly changed its system, too. Like They've got a lot of young talent in a lot of different corners of the roster right now, and a lot of it's major league ready. With a team that was so good defensively, though, I'm going to bet against Bryce Turang um, just because his best foot forward is defense and at some point you got to take your team and be like okay we have the strength of defense we can make it a little bit better with Turing we have this weakness on offense and we could probably make it a lot better if we have more offense out of that spot yeah um and and so I I like Joey Ortiz to make this team uh I like him to play over Bryce Turing at second and um the backup plan is uh, Joey Ortiz at third and Turang at second, and Tyler Black is back in the minors. But Tyler Black, I think, is is ready to take this job. He's 23 years old. His minor league WRC plus is over 140, so he's been 40% better than league average at almost every stop in the minor leagues. He doesn't strike out. He walks a lot. He hits for power. It doesn't look like an extreme pull situation. It doesn't look like he's really over his skis with his raw power. He had a 109.6 um, in the minors in AAA last year. It was a small sample, and that's a good enough number, you know. Um, it's a chance that he's not like, you know, a 25 homer hitter, and he's more like a 18 to 20 homer hitter. But that might come with 35 steals and an OBP OBP over 350. Um they don't they don't I don't think they can say no to that kind of offense. You know what I mean? He's just an unusual player because of the glove. And I think the addition of Reese Hoskins gives them a nice power floor, but that's also a short term addition. Hoskins isn't gonna be there for five years. It's probably just this year, maybe two. So you still have the DH option. First base might be the long term home. I think you're right. Eventually they have to make that sort of decision. How many gloves, great gloves, are going to put on the field at the expense of having a below-average lineup? Tyler Black flips that pretty quickly. So curious to see how much he plays and where he plays defensively over the course of the Cactus League slate. Pitching looks a little different this year. We were kind of marveling at the Giants lineup for its limited number of uh, of bats that were inside the top 200. 
it's Freddie Peralta and everybody else as far as Brewers pitchers, starting pitchers, that is, that people are interested in. Freddie kind of going in that pick 60 range, and then you got to wait, you know, 300 picks or so before someone might take D.L. Hall or Aaron Ashby or Robert Gosser or Wade Miley or Jake Junis. This is the part of the roster that I think most people are worried about around here. You know, they look at the pitching and they're like, whoa, no Burns, no Woodruff. What are we doing here? Is this actually going to get us to the postseason? And if we were to get to the postseason with this roster, can they actually win with this combination of pitchers? I think it may resemble the San Francisco Giants uh, awful brand of baseball for fans. Um, if I, the, when I look at this, I think what this, this graphic that we're looking at right now should have like five more relievers on it, um, <laughs> just to give you a sense of how it's going to work. Because when I look at this team, I see, well, uh, Trevor Megill was in Michael Petriello's, um, uh, uh, I don't know why I call him Michael, Mike Petriello's piece, <laughs> uh, on, on MLB.com. That was like one of the, one of the relievers that might take a step forward. He's always been, uh, very exciting in the stuff model and he's like their third best reliever and when i see that and i see abner uribe who's maybe one of my favorite young relievers in the big leagues and on fangrass he's listed as like their fifth reliever the light goes off for me you know what i mean which is aaron ashby aaron andrew aaron aaron his father uncle uncle i think his uncle was andy ashby yeah, so Aaron Ashby uh, doesn't command the ball well and is coming back off of a pretty bad injury in terms of shoulder. Um, I don't think that you want to push him much past like 75, 100 innings tops. Uh, but, you know, you could maybe mitigate. What happens over the course of a game is that command uh, is goes before stuff. So if you've got a guy who doesn't begin the game with great command, you kind of maybe want to limit it to like three innings. Well, what happened? You just took in Jake Junis. He's been pitching in three innings stints, right? Well, what if you told Wade Miley and Colin Ray, like, hey, like, you know, we might do some four inning stuff with you. And Robert Gasser, do you know what they're doing in the minor leagues right now? In the minor leagues right now, starting pitchers are averaging like 50 to 60 pitches in appearance. So I don't know if I have Gasser's number. I might actually have Gasser's number off the top of my head. But um, but with with Gasser, the likelihood is He's not going to necessarily be used to uh, pitching a ton. Robert Gasser, oh, of course, they're preparing him for this. 89 pitches per appearance. So, you know, he's better off than most. But he's still only at 89 pitches per appearance. D.L. Hall, you know, had injury concerns and was a reliever last year. You know where I'm going with this. It's like everybody but Freddy Peralta is going to go three to four innings. And they're going to have a, a stable of, of guys that come in in the fifth inning. I think I think they're going to push Hall like a regular starter and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, then they'll back off him. And Miley, like, why not go five or six, give up three runs and hope to win four to three, right? Yeah, and I think you're probably going to see, maybe you'll see something unusual with the order of the rotation, too. Not that many people care about this, but if you're going to have because some guys go short, you, you do have the to bullpen stuff. Them. Yeah, exactly. You need rest. Yeah, yeah. yeah you need to build that in. Uh, options are, are key to a team like this. I think it's... It's just putting faith in the organization that they they have a good sense of what they want to do and how they're trying to get there. But it just looks it looks rough on the outside. You're like, okay, we're relying on a guy in Ashby who didn't pitch last year. He was hurt. He's kind of important to them in some capacity, even if it's only as more of a follower, uh, electric bulk guy that 
turns the lineup over one time in most of his appearances. Yeah, and then just look at a guy like Joe Ross. Like he always had trouble going deep, and he's more of a fastball slider guy. You know, even if you push Jake Junis more into like a five inning role, Joe Ross could be your Jake Junis. Uh, but they there there are a lot of pitchers here that they're trying to push into longer roles. So uh, I bet you Peralta and Miley are not. They don't go Peralta Miley. You know, I think you're right. I bet you they go Peralta. You know, they might go Peralta Hall Miley somebody Colin Ray right mm-hmm. so that like they they feel like three out of those five days they get a little bit more bulk and those other two they do some mixing and matching they can't do mixing and matching in, in the four and five spot you know day after day like you don't want to do it that way probably one of the more complicated builds as far as mapping out the pitching calendar right we talk about how there's somebody in every organization who's in charge of knowing which guys have options. How can we send this guy down and then bring him back? How do we we make all these pieces fit? The bullpen is very deep. It goes much further than that group. I decided to bump Joel Piamps from the group, but he pitched really well last year. Hobie Milner's kind of a funky lefty. They brought in Taylor Clark. They're excited about him. Elvis Piguero looked good at times. So this might be the deepest bullpen of the teams we've talked about on this episode, even if there are a lot of questions about this rotation really questions about every one of these rotations as we look at how these teams stack up but some reasons to be optimistic I suppose too depending on how you want to look at it Dakota spits out a 79.7 win total for the Brewers so I ask you too hot too cold or just right I'm going too cold this this team is over 500 they're gonna find a way I mean, one of the things that they've always had is a really, really strong bullpen, and I still see a really, really strong bullpen. And I think that's going to allow them to paper over the starting pitching situation a little bit. Plus, I like Gasser, I like Hall, and I like Ashby. So I like three of their young guys. And and I love Mizorowski, mm-hmm. you know? So this is like it's definitely risky and i wouldn't say they're gonna definitely win the division again but um i think they could surprise people you know i'm i'm betting the vegas odds uh are very much against the brewers and if that's the case that might be the money play (laughs) like (laughs) like would like is would this as a brewers fan it wouldn't even be really surprising for you if they won like 86 games and got a wild card and we're fine, like, or, or we're in the mix for the, for the, for the thing all year. If you could find a way to do a prop that, that over 500, I would do it. Yeah. I'm sure you could find that if you uh, take a look around, but uh, yeah, I had them too cold as well. It's because I just think this division is a little under projected as a group. I think it's under projected because a lot of these teams have young talent they're relying on. I think the reds too, the reds projections, I didn't notice it quite the way I I don't think I looked at them as a group the same way I looked at these three teams every one of the Reds young hitters could be five ten points in WRC plus under projected because that's just the way projections work Mm. even guys that seem like they have higher floors were under projected and I think that's kind of part of the whole the whole vibe around the division is just that all these teams are kind of looking at it the same way we don't have to spend tons of money we can rely on young talent we can address our flaws later via trade because they all have some excess somewhere. They all have some young talent. They all have something they can give to get better, but they can also just see if they're good enough the way they're built without sparing, without, without putting the money out there. 
they're all just sort of it does suck actually a little bit in terms of thinking about baseball writ large which is that um they're playing from the same playbook and what we want as fans and what every game wants like if you play settlers of Catan, and like there's only one way to win it by the way there's uh, a really funny video out there about uh, who was it? It was talking about his whole Settlers of Catan. Um, it was Adley Rutschman and and Colton Cowser. Yes, Colton Cowser was like describing his 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 uh, the way that he plays uh, Settlers of Catan. He was talking about like you know, oh, I'm really into the ports. You know? <laughs> yeah, some people saying I'm crossing off Colton Cowser from my list because he's doing the ports. Yeah, he's into ports, and he's saying, well, Rutschen keeps winning. But the fun thing about, about Settlers of Catan is that there are different ways to win. Do you dominate one type of, uh, of resource and then try to trade that with other players or with ports, or do you have a very diverse set of, uh, of resources? Do you have resources that are better in the beginning and better late? Like, there's different ways to win it, you know? Um, I like, we play Magic the Gathering with the kids, and like, you know, there are so many different ways to win, to build a magic pack and to win, uh, build a magic deck and to win. So I just don't like that this division has really leaned into, um, I suppose it's a Raisian approach, uh, which is like. It makes sense. Matt Arnold's been the AGM for a while. Now he's the GM with Stern's gone. They got that promotion a couple of years ago. It's a lot of front office people do that. Like they. They kind of keep things running the way they worked where they last were, as long as that place was effective. And Tampa Bay certainly has been effective with their approach. Right. And um, I mean, I think it's a little unfortunate because all three of these teams that we just discussed today would be better with a couple more free agents. Yep. And in the case of the Brewers, I think they're the least likely to go out and spend that money. (laughs) I could see the Cubs, the Cardinals making that late move. I don't think there's another big move coming uh, for Brewers fans, we are going to go. That ran a little longer than I expected, and I had expectations of a few extra minutes because of the Brewers. I get a subscription to the Athletic, the draft kit for fantasy baseball season just dropped today at athletic.com slash rates and barrels. If you don't have a subscription already, $2 a month gets you in the door. So be sure to pick that up. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. And again, check the show description for the link to join the Discord. We may have to start a board game channel in there. I'm going to guess that of the people in the Discord, a large percentage play board games. And a decent percentage of that group probably plays Catan. (laughs) But that's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 